Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, I want to give you a complete, full, everything there is to know about it, understanding of Christianity today. And we're going to look at one verse to start with. 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, Awake to righteousness and do not sin. Pretty straightforward? Right? No sin, right? Okay, you guys got it? You got it? Well, let's go get brunch, right? Let's go find a place. And well, it was so easy, right? Because there is a sense in which this encompasses, you know, the whole Christian life. Awake to righteousness, be alert to God and His holiness and His righteousness, His holy standards, making good and wise judgments, all of those kinds. That's the way we need to live. That's a proactive living. Uh, and then there are things that we need to avoid, things that should not be a part of our life, things that we need to be alert to that will uh, get us, as the author of Hebrews says, talks about the sin which so easily besets us. Uh, so these two things do encompass, you know, the whole Christian life in a sense when we understand it properly. But the second part of this thing, and do not sin. Now, how many of you know that Christians aren't supposed to sin? Okay, you know that. You're sure about that? Okay, so therefore you don't have any problem with that, right? You never sin because you know you're not supposed to? You guys are not looking like, how does he want us to answer that one? I don't know. No, the reality is, is that we do. We experience sin. We have a long history with it. Um, and we work at it. And sometimes we make great progress. And other times we stumble and don't do so well. And as I looked at um, where we were heading in 1 Corinthians, because we're going to be back to that this summer, you know, where we're, the idea that God has declared that we are saints you know, that we are holy and righteous and very much like Jesus deep down inside in the core of our being. But the rest of our lives, we're a work in progress. In fact, we said that uh, as saints, we're no longer, you know, sinners, but we're saints who are learning what? Not to sin. Okay, so this is an important issue. But so where 1 Corinthians is taken is I just really had a strong sense from the Lord that we needed to focus in on uh, a couple of, uh, another, a number of concepts related to sin before we proceeded in 1 Corinthians. So that's what we're going to do at least uh, two weeks here. Um, did you know that the word sin and the words used for sin and descriptions of sin are used like more than twice as many times as love? Okay. Now, should we conclude from that that sin is much more important than love? No, I don't think that's the point of Scripture at all. But the reality is, is that sin is a big deal. And it's something we need to understand. We need to have a biblical understanding of this. We need to understand how God sees sin and, and what it means in our lives and how do we learn to do better and to make better choices and to experience that freedom, the power of God enabling us to live the right 
way. Now, question for you. What was the very first sin? Just say it. Somebody say it louder. Adam. Adam and Eve, but Adam, sin, right? First sin. Well, I went back and read the story again two or three times this week and looked at it, and you know it never, ever says sin. That word doesn't even show up till later, a little later in the Bible. And it's almost like, well, this, I mean, God knows all things, I know, but like this wasn't supposed to happen, so there isn't a word for this. But so did Adam sin? There was no description of sin, no word sin, nothing like that. Well, did he? Yes, he did sin. Let's go to Romans 5, 12. And and actually, let's look it up, okay? Romans 5, 12, page 1298 in the Bible that's in the chairs there, and we encourage you to follow along with that. Romans chapter 5. Verse number 12. It says here, Therefore, just as through one man, and this is referring back to Adam, and that's in the context here, we know that. Therefore, just as through one man, sin entered the world. Okay, so there's the answer to our question, right? Did Adam sin? Yes, he did. It's through one man, sin entered the world, and death through sin And thus death spread to all men because all sinned. We've all inherited that that nature. And we've talked about this a fair amount recently. Um, That by birth we are sinners. By birth we are sinful. Uh, And so then we live it out. And then we commit sins. We'll talk a little more about that distinction later. But let's go back up just a little farther up above here into verse number eight. It says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In other words, you know, sometimes as human beings in, in situations we find ourselves in, sometimes we do it to other people. And we say, well, listen, when you do what you're supposed to do, then I will, right, do something here. But that's not how God saves us. God saved us, and he, of course, before we were ever even born, but he knew about us. And he, Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins before we were ever even interested Before we ever even understood, or maybe we did understand, and we were in rebellion, Jesus died to pay for our sins. And that is such good news. And what's the the nice religious word we use to describe this good news? The what? The gospel. That's right, this is the gospel. And if you're here today, and, and, and that's a new idea to you, that, you know, Jesus died to pay the penalty for your sins. You might have heard from that, heard about that. He rose again from the dead. But here's the deal. If you will honestly before God acknowledge that, yes, I have sinned. My sins have separated me from you, God, right? I'm spiritually dead here. I'm headed for hell. 
But I believe that Jesus died for my sins and rose again. And I'm putting my faith in him. You know, the Bible says that when you reach that point and you make that decision, at that very moment, you were born again. At that very moment, every sin is forgiven forever. Uh, you have eternal life to look forward to. No longer is your destiny hell. And then God moves into your life and begins working on you inside and and changing you, and we need to cooperate with them. We surrender and we grow, see? So this is the gospel, and this is the good news. But what we want to focus in on today to start to get an understanding is what is, does the Bible mean when it talks about sins? And so I, I worked and, and, and tried to come up with a sort of a definition that's not highly technical, but to help us understand what we mean, what the Bible means when it talks about sin. So go ahead and put that up there if you would. Sins is any conscious actions or intentional thoughts that are contrary to what God has revealed as his will for us in Scripture. And Scripture needs to be properly understood. Okay, it can't be a misunderstanding. Um, but so let's talk about this. conscious actions, intentional Thoughts. Jesus made it clear that thoughts can be sin, right? Okay, it's not just actions. Intentional thoughts that are contrary to God's revealed will. Uh, and so, what I'm trying to say here is that uh, things that happen to us in life that we didn't make any choice about, that we have no guilt for sin there. Okay? Things maybe that we didn't even understand or know about, and, and we did. We have no guilt for sin there. Just as very much as a child, a little child, does things that are wrong, right? You know, bang, hits you in the face because they want that toy that you don't want them to have. Now that's a reflection of that sinful, selfish nature that they have. But do they have an understanding of right and wrong when they're little like that? They have no understanding of right or wrong. They start to pick up from you that, whoa, that didn't go so well. But they don't have that understanding. And so therefore, they do not bear the guilt for that sin. Now, <clears throat> there are some who would hold, and I, I'm not necessarily in disagreement with it, but that technically those things are still sins. But I'm talking about the idea of what we, when we sin and we know it, and that that brings that sense of guilt, right? That's that wrongdoing, we knew it was wrong. We knew it was wrong when we did it, we, we knew it was wrong maybe when we didn't do it, depending on what it is, you know, we knew it was wrong, I shouldn't be thinking this way, all those kinds of things. So we're, this is what we're focusing in on. Um, and contrary to God's will, uh, will for us, as he's revealed, in other words, He's revealed much in the word of God about what is right and what is wrong, what we would call sin, okay? And he would say, this is the way to live, not this way. And so it's when we find ourselves living or thinking in ways that are contrary to what God has said here. And I bet you pretty much, couldn't we probably every day, by the time the day's done, if we sit down at the end of the day and, and start thinking about what does God say and how did I live? We can almost always come up with Someplace we were contrary to what God had revealed. And boy, don't misunderstand, we can do much better and we can really grow. Um, let me see here. Yes, so what God has done when he designed us as human beings, 
He gave us what we call a conscience. Okay? A conscience, conscience that has some sort of awareness of what's right and what's wrong. Uh, Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 2 when he says this. He says the Gentiles, those, those, these are people who didn't know God, Gentiles who do not have the law show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts, accusing or else excusing them. And that's what our conscience does for us, doesn't it? Now, our conscience, uh, conscious, conscience um, is programmed by what we learn to be right or wrong from people around us and the world around us. And so sometimes our conscience isn't always technically right. But our conscience gives us this sense. You know, we say, you know, little babies have not developed a conscience yet. And then as they get older, and sometimes, you know, it depends on the environment. Sometimes when children are young, their conscience comes very much alive and they realize a right and wrong and I'm responsible. And for most people, by the time they're adolescents, the conscience is very much alive and aware in making these judgments about what's acceptable and what's not in my life. Uh, and, and so... Uh, we, God has made us to be moral beings. He's made us to be beings with a natural sense that there is a right and there is a wrong. Now, people can push that down in their lives. They can keep ignoring it, saying no to it. And the Bible eventually can talk about their conscience being seared, you know, seared, burnt, toughened up, callous, scarred to where they aren't as sensitive to it, but they still have it nonetheless. So let's look at our definition here again. So sins are any conscious actions or intentional thoughts that are contrary to what God has revealed as his will for us in scripture. And again, the scripture properly understood, okay? Because if we look back into the Old Testament, the law that God gave to his people Israel through Moses, there are very specific commands for them in that law, and it was a sin for them to go against those things. One of those things which you can't eat shellfish. Anybody here like lobster, crab, oysters, mussels? Yeah, the hands keep getting lower, less and less. <laughs> but the idea is, is that if you were an Israelite living under the law of Moses, God told them not to do that. And he told them not to do that because there are various health reasons that they should not have done that at that time in history. And he wanted them to be healthy and strong as his people so they could do the things that he wanted them to do. All right. So for them, that was a sin. Well, we are not Israelites today. We are not under the law of Moses in those respects. Okay. And so therefore, I'm just going to relieve you. It's okay if you have lobster. All right. In other words, that's not a sin for us. We need to understand the scriptures properly. And in the Old Testament, the Jews had health laws and they had ceremonial religious laws that are not ours to follow. But the morality in that law is still binding. In other words, moral issues. Now, when we talk about sins, what we discover is, is that there, you know, there's lots of flavors of ice cream, right? And there are lots of flavors of sin. And I think when I, using this analogy, I was thinking about this, well, this makes sin kind of sound cool, ice cream. But now think of it this way, it's, it's poisoned ice cream. <laughs> okay, lots of flavors of poisoned ice cream. Well, there's lots of different 
directions that sin can take hold of. So let's look at eight of them from the New Testament. First one is the Greek word hamartia, which means falling short or missing the mark. It's like an archer shooting and missing the target. And that's, that's kind of the big picture word. That's the word that's used the most often to describe our sin as, as people and as Christians. We fall short of what God's standard is. What is God's standard? It's perfection, isn't it? It's Jesus. And we always fall short in so many ways of that. Okay? Then hatema, failure to do what's right. In other words, okay, we knew what was right, but we what? We didn't do it. Okay? Uh, paraptama, this is like a side slip. This is unintentional or willful offense. And by unintentional, it doesn't mean that we didn't make the choice, but it's the idea we weren't planning to make that choice. And so something came along, and we kind of slipped, and said, here we are, and then we sinned. Okay? All right, uh, go to the next one. Agnoema, this is something that is ignored or willfully unknown. All right? Uh, so it's the idea we knew the truth, but we just ignored it. Or I could have known the truth, but I decided not to. You know, this is like our kids, right? Well, I didn't know you said that. Well, why didn't you ask me, right? In other words, they should have known. There's a responsibility there. Then parakoe, disobedience through inattention. I used to have this conversation with my children. Uh, well, I didn't mean to do it. I know you didn't. I believe that. But what you need to do is mean not to do it. <laughs> right? Notice, pay attention. Be on top of this. It's your responsibility. Okay? Uh, parabasis, intentionally crossing the line. This is knowing there's a line there. And this is crossing it. By the way, you know, we do this, but let me just illustrate to you again in, in the, the little children thing. You know, I probably, all of my kids at one time or another, when they were real little and you're telling them, no, don't do this. And don't touch that. You can't play with that. No, you and don't. Don't touch that, leave that alone. And they stand there, look at you, and then they look at you and they go. And touch. They want to see if he really meant it or whatever. But the point is they did what? They willfully crossed the line. And you and I can do the same thing. And oftentimes we justify it. I know I shouldn't have spoken that way to you, but you know, we have our reasons why. We intentionally cross the line. And then anomia is a rejection of God's law. Ah is a prefix that means not, okay, a negating prefix. And, and the Greek word for law is namos. And so anomia is a lawlessness, no law, not going to have any law. And here's the one, though, I think for Christians is more likely to happen than the anomia, and that is the paranomia. Para means alongside of. You know the word parable. Okay, this, Jesus tells parables, and the, that comes from two, two um, parts of this word, bole, which means to throw, and para meaning alongside. So Jesus tells a story and throws a meaning alongside the story. Okay, so that's what the para means. When we say paranomia, alongside the law, we set up our own law. And we say, well, I, I don't think it really means that. I, but it, I think it really means this. And we rationalize and justify our sin. Okay, so these are eight things that show up fairly often in the New Testament and in our lives. So we go back to our definition. Sins, any conscious actions or intentional thoughts that are contrary to what God has 
revealed as his will for us in scripture. And so those kinds of things we just looked at. Now, there is another aspect of sin that we need to understand. And we've already referred to it a little bit today. Uh, this is sins uh, as, with a small s, and it's referring to the, all the individual acts, the things that we did wrong or didn't do that we should have done, and, or we did. It's the sins themselves, okay? But the Bible uses the word sin to refer also to more than that. And we put a capital S on this one and make it singular, but sin, which is the natural tendency to act and think in ways that are contrary to what God has revealed is his will for us in Scripture. So same definition, but it's a natural tendency. This is what we are born with. Now, uh, well, let's just look. Scripture illustrates these two things in multiple places. But one, it says Christ died for our what? Our sins, according to the Scriptures. So uh, all those things where we trespassed God's law, we didn't do what he said. He died to pay for those penalties. Like I talked about that earlier, okay? But then Paul also talks. He says, I am carnal, sold under sin, sin that dwells in me. Evil is present with me. He's talking about this natural tendency in us that pulls us towards sin. Now, once we get saved, and we've seen this in 1 Corinthians and saved, once we get saved, we receive Christ as Savior. Remember, every sin forgiven, and he moves in. At the core of our nature, what, what I refer to, and I think Scripture refers to as our spirit, do we have a sin nature there anymore? It's not a trick question. No, we don't have a sin nature anymore. We're born again. God has moved in. We are like God deep down inside. And that begins the whole process of change in our lives. But remember, we, uh, it wasn't that long back we had the circles up on the screen showing you how the Christian life worked and all that. That moment you get saved, thank goodness, you know, he changes deep down inside. But all of my memories, my thinking, my feelings, uh, and how those all work together, guess what? Those haven't been changed yet. And that's what the Christian life becomes about, what? Learning and growing and beginning to try to align those things more and more. We are working outward our salvation, working our salvation out in our lives, learning to think the way we really are, learning to act the way we really are deep down inside, which is like the Lord, okay? Is this, is this making sense, you guys, with that? All right, so I'm saying once we get saved, that is done, but we still got a lot of sinful tendencies left because, man, Sin did a bigger number on you than you know. It really, really did. Even if you came to Christ as a young person, sin still impacted your thinking, it impacted your feelings, it impacted how you interpret things. And so you're still going to deal with that. And, and this is what we're talking about. Trying, how, how are we going to work our way away from those things? And so these two concepts. Now, what is it that actually then constitutes sin? What makes something sinful? Well, in our definition, we already kind of said, we're contrary to the revealed will of God for us, right? But John says it this way, in 1 John, he says that everyone who sins is breaking God's law. For all sin is contrary, there you go, contrary to the law of God. So, uh, 
And by the way, when we talk about law here, we're not talking about the law of Moses, which Israel was under. When John's talking about law like this, he's talking about God's laws with respect to what is right and what is wrong. What his expectations are for us and, and how we are to live and how we're not supposed to live. But so all sin then breaks that law of God. And as we can see, it's contrary to it. And so that's, again, how we can help ourselves understand what's going on. But man, you know, it can start to feel like God is some sort of cosmic killjoy. If he's talking about sin twice as much as he's talking about love, I got to think about sin all the time. Well, now let's, we want to think biblically about these things. So when I think of God and I think, you know, of all his different characteristics, his qualities and all that, I think there are two qualities that just stand out huge to me, and that's his holiness and his love. Okay, his holiness and his love. And by his holiness, we're talking about his perfect goodness, that, you know, he, he always does what's right. He always desires to do what's right, never desires to do what's wrong, doesn't desire to tempt us to do what's wrong. Uh, he's perfectly holy. He, he makes good and right judgments. Um, we're going on down that list. Uh, but just understand, it is his perfect goodness, his rightness about everything, not just in his actions, but in his nature. Okay? And then love. And, and this is where I want us to really start to see something. So holiness, if God is not interested in sin for himself, he's not tempted to sin, he doesn't tempt us to sin. So when we sin, we're going against what? God's holiness, okay, because we're going contrary, because there is scripture that says we're supposed to be holy like God, all right, and we fail, fall so short of that. But let's talk about love here today, because I think it's very informative for us. Uh, here's what we mean by love, that love always desires and chooses what's in the best interest of the one loved, even if it's personally costly to the one loving. So this is how God has loved us. Right? He has always acted in our best interest. You know? Uh, you know, when he sent Jesus, he acted in our best interest, didn't he? You know, when he works in our lives. Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, but anybody here ever uh, have to correct your child for not doing good or not doing right? And the reason you did that was because you loved your child, right? And you wanted them to learn. And you want, so, uh, so it is in this area of love that God always desires and chooses what's in our best interests. And that last part, even if it's personally costly to the one loving, that's about Jesus coming, isn't it? That's about God demonstrating, even though it's personally costly to him, he did what was in our best interests. And so we already talked about that today, so I'm gonna take that off for right now, and we'll just look at the first part. Love always, just go ahead and go to that if you would, Barry. Love always desires and chooses what's in the best interests of the one loved. Now, remember, everyone who sins is breaking God's law, right? Go ahead and go to that too, Barry. Everyone who sins is breaking God's law. It's contrary to what God has said for us. So, but the question comes then is, why did God come up with these laws? Why does he call something sin and tell us not to do it. And, and I think this idea of love 
is right at the center of it. God in the law, God in saying what's good and right and what's wrong and doesn't belong is motivated by love for us. Does that make sense? In other words, because God is God. Could he have said anything he wanted was wrong? And anything he wanted was right? I mean, God could make up the law whatever he wanted. He had that right. But he chose to put these laws in place because he loves us. Let's, let's consider, we go back to the Old Testament and look when God first gave the law of Moses to his people and what he says to them about it. He says, you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments. Why? That it may go well with you and with your children after you. Okay, so God is telling you how to live. He's saying to do these things and to do these things this way. And don't do that. Don't go there. Don't even think about going there. All of that because he desires that it would go well for us in our lives. So what does that tell us right away about sin? Sin always works against us. Sin always works against this idea of things going well in our lives. Now, sometimes it seems like temporarily, hey, this is working, but God knows. And he says, no, 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 it's not going to work. It's taking you where you don't want to go. All right, let's look at another passage in Deuteronomy. He says, this is God speaking. He says, oh, that they had such a heart in them that they would fear me and always keep all my commandments that it might be well with them and with their children forever. So God is saying, I want them to, to obey my commandments. Why? Because they owe me and they need to... You know no, what? I want it to go well for you. I, when someone designs a machine, do they have an end goal in, in mind? And they, they try to design all the parts of the machine so it all operates and does what it's supposed to do in the end so that the end product is good and what you want, okay? And so God designed, it's not a machine, but he designed a system where if we will live God's way and, and you know, grow in that and do better at it, it brings good things into our lives. Now, I'm not promising you an easy life. God isn't promising you an easy life. We live in a sin-cursed world. It's not going to be easy. God is not promising you will always be rich. There may be times when you struggle to have enough money. All these kinds of things. But God says, do it my way. And it will go well for you. It will be good for you. A little later in Deuteronomy chapter 10, he's asking a question. But it says, keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today. What? For your good. All right? So when we're talking about sin, it's contrary to what God has revealed about these things. It goes against the way God says things are going to be good for us. And so every time we are faced with sin and choose sin, we've chosen to bring damage into our lives. We've chosen to bring problems. 
Now, Proverbs talks about this. In contrast, the person who humbles himself before God and, and, and uh, you know, follows him, and it says, for that person, it's like the early morning when it starts to get light, and it gets a little lighter and lighter and lighter and lighter. So that's the way that person's path is in life, and that the person who is stubborn, rebellious, does their own thing, that life gets harder and harder and harder and harder. So the law... And the fact that God tells us there are sins is um, for our own good. And let me just give you an example. We, uh, it wasn't that long back when we were in Genesis and we were talking about designer sex, that God has designed sex and what his plans and purposes are for that. And if you remember, we saw very clearly in Scripture that God's, he put boundaries around sexual behavior. Okay? He put boundaries around that, and that's that it's, it's a man and a woman who are, have made a, a commitment in what we call marriage, a lifetime commitment, and uh, that it's within that boundaries that it's okay to be sexually expressive, to, for sexual behavior to occur, okay? So God set these boundaries, and, but what have we seen? Why did God set boundaries? Because he what? Because he loves us and he knows what's best for us and what's good. Sex is a powerful, powerful thing. And so God set up these boundaries for it to where within these boundaries, within this law, if you want to call it that, it is good. Okay, it's a good thing. Outside of these boundaries, it's not. Okay? And so if I'm, if I'm not married you know, committed to a woman in my life, and we're married, then I'm outside those boundaries, and I need to not be sexually active. I, I don't know how to ways to say this, okay? But um, we shouldn't be. And we might say, well, how's that a good thing? Well, we've got to come down and believe that God knows what he's talking about. And that I am blessed when I live within these boundaries, whether I am married or not. If I am married and I'm within these boundaries and I, for some reason or other, start, you know, letting my mind wander and I think, or maybe I begin watching porn or I get involved with another, I'm facing that choice. I need to stay within the boundaries. And if I will stay within the boundaries, God's ways work doesn't mean we don't have problems in them because we're in a sin-cursed world again. But within, I need to stay within those boundaries. And if I'm outside of marriage, I need to stay, with, live within those boundaries. And either way, it's good for me. It's what's best for me. Now, do you start to see where the Christian life is always a life of faith? Because I have to make what? I have to make a choice that I'm going to believe God about this. You know, whatever the issues are. And so let's look, let's just, two main ideas I want to conclude with and then just share something with you and we'll be done for today. First one is this, is that all that God puts off limits and declared to be sinful are things that are not good for me. We need to settle that. God has said something is off limits, so it's, therefore it's sin, then it's always good for me. And then my best possible life lies within God's boundaries not outside them in sin. 
And like I said, we apply this to any issue in our lives. We talked about sex, but we can talk about um, our work. We can talk about our money. We can talk about our relationships. We can talk about whatever and start looking. What are the boundaries that God has set? What are his principles? What are his ways? And then these things apply. Okay? It's the things that he says no to are not good for me. And my best possible life live, lies within God's boundaries. And the lie, the sin always comes and tells you what? No, 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 no. And this is what Satan said to Adam and Eve. God's holding out on you. Something better that he's not letting you have. How did that go for Adam and Eve? Would they have been better off believing God? How did it go for you and me because of Adam and Eve? And then because of ourselves, right? Oh man, I can look back at my life and, and think, oh man, if I had made different choices, if I had dealt with that sooner, if I had, man, my life, I would be in a better place today. Because this is true. This is true. Now, Think about what this means when you face temptation. When temptation comes and you're tempted to, to commit what you know is a sin, either, like I said, by doing what you're not supposed to do or not doing what you know you're supposed to do or maybe you're doing what you're supposed to do but with the wrong attitude inside and whatever the sin is, but the, the appeal to you is going to be that this is going to make you happy. This is going to make you feel important. This is going to make you feel safe. This is going to make you feel whatever. And you have to stop and think, well, wait a minute. God loves me. He always acts in my best interest. And God put that off limits for some reason. And as we grow in our faith, sometimes we say, I don't know why God put that off limits. But what I know is he loves me and he set these limits for my well-being. So guess what? This temptation that's here, this isn't what I really want. I want what God wants for me. God's way is much better. Now, the reality is, is we don't always have those kinds of conversations with ourselves at that moment, do we? All of a sudden, there we are. That we saw, we slipped in there and here we are. And, but we can learn and, and grow. But do you see how this kind of changes? It isn't, in fact, in Romans talks about that when the law came, the, the Old Testament commandments, that what it did is it like it stirred up sin. How do you feel when someone tells you, no, you can't do that? It's something you want to do. What, how do you feel? Is it just me? I don't like someone to tell me you can't do it. I love someone to tell me, hey, let, yeah, let me... I don't think you really want to do it, and here's why, and all that. Yeah, but sometimes people say, no, you can't do that. And I say, who says? That's that old sick, that sinful tendency popping up, isn't it? But we need to uh, learn to live in those places where those temptations come, that God's ways are really best. And can, how can I emphasize it? They really, really, really are best. How often are they best? Always. That's right. Now, once again, I could say, so problem solved, right? Now let's go have brunch. 
No, problem's not solved, right? Because what's, what do we experience in our lives? What's the reality and how do we deal with it? And so what do we need to understand about how this whole process works? What do we need to understand about sin that might help us and righteousness that might help us and, and how we get in these places? How do we do those things? That's what we're going to talk about next week. Okay? But today, you know, make a decision to buy into God's, God loves you, and his ways are the absolute best for you, always, every time, without exception. No ifs, ands, or buts. Father, we come to you. Thank you for your word. Lord, we know the truth that sin has never been a good thing for us. We may have experienced temporary pleasure, but it was never good for us. We really know that. But Father, help us to remember it before we sin. Help us to see the world the way it really is, the way you describe it to us, and that it really works best the way you say. And oh God, I pray we'd be humble in all of this. We need you to work in our lives, and we need not to be judgmental about other people's sins. But yet, Lord, we need to make good judgments about sin in our own lives. Oh, man, we're desperate for you to work. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Lord willing, see you back here next week for part two. And I'd love to hear if you have questions or, you know, thoughts, something we should please pass those on to me. It'll help me to communicate more clearly.